What's up, everybody? This is Jamilia, and you're listening to Barely Legal and Web3. On this podcast, we talk about everything at the intersection between legal compliance and Web3 innovation. I launched this podcast to celebrate all of the amazing innovation that's happening in Web3, but also to unapologetically highlight some of the massive failures that we have seen about what's working and what's not. And we also talk about what it takes to be a successful Web3 lawyer. When I first started ByteBow, there were no resources for lawyers looking to venture into this space. I didn't know anyone that was in Web3, and it was really difficult. I really believe that everything in Web3, and particularly in law, has to lead with diversity and inclusion. So if you're a lawyer and you're looking to get into Web3, or you're looking to connect with other attorneys and you don't know anyone who's in the space, please check out the community that we've built at ByteBow. You can check it out in the link below. I always leave the link there for people to join. It's totally free. Come in, connect with some other great Web3 lawyers who also believe that we should be building an inclusive community. And on top of that, we're sharing great information. You get to learn, you get to connect with other people, you will ultimately get a chance to get referrals. And so it's just a wonderful place to be. It's a safe space and I hope to see you in there. Hey, Jamilia, did you know that research shows that only about an average of 17% of legal tech founders are women? Talk about underrepresentation, hey? Wow, that is really low. I wouldn't even have thought that it, it was that discouraging, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think it's an important one to talk about and a nice stat to sort of frame our conversation today because there'll be a lot of people listening right now that are women in law that want to get into legal tech. And I think that it's a nice segue to talk about the challenges or hurdles that we as women face when it comes to diving into the tech legal space, reasons why that stat is so low. Uh, One, I think that's really important to talk about that maybe as lawyers, we don't think about as much, but I think when you're moving into the tech space, we do have to put on a little bit more of an entrepreneurial hat, a little bit more of a business mind. And so one challenge I think a lot of us face is funding. So to set up a legal tech company like ByteBow, for example, can at the beginning be quite a costly exercise. And I I pulled a stat in 2020. This is crazy. This is more wild than the first one I shared. Only 2% of funds in the world were invested into female-founded startups compared to 9% of funds invested in startups with male and female co-founders. And this is all despite the fact that 35% of legal tech businesses led by women only are achieving higher returns on their investment. Crazy. This is crazy. This is this is just, you know, the boys wanting to work with the boys. And it's so funny, like I've, I've talked to other female, um, you know, founders in tech and working in legal tech. And actually, I've heard that what many of them do is they find a male co-founder just to have like, as they call it, like get a beard, you know, like get a guy on your team, someone that can kind of balance you out and be able to attract funding. I think that's horrible. Why do people have to do that? That is horrible. Well, I mean, it, that makes sense in light of the stat I've just shared, but what do you, why do you think it is that women themselves, is it, is that a lack of knowledge thing? I mean, we're not taught how to 
go and raise capital. I mean, where I come from in Australia, moving here to Dubai, the conversation, everyone's talking about raising capital. Back at home, it's it's not topic of conversation. So I'm not sure if it's a cultural thing, but I think the first point is a lack of education and then potentially a lack of confidence. So maybe you can share a little bit about uh, your experience. Is, is raising, is getting funding something that you've experienced? Did you sort of have those initial hurdles in terms of how to get started, who to go to, where to go, and how did you overcome those? I think it definitely does start with mindset. I think the first question is, for many women is, so I I think that the issue really stems from mindset. I think that the first question that women ask themselves is, do I need funding? And for a lot of women, many of times, it's this sense of them, you know, thinking that they can do a lot more with what they have. Um, and there's this um, research that has shown that women or little girls, as they're raised, they're always taught to take care of themselves in a way that little boys are not. And so when we get to be, um, you know, women professionals, women entrepreneurs, we have a mindset that we can actually do a lot more with what we have. And so I think that's part of it. But then I think, um, you know, you talked about education. I think the education is out there for women. And it's available, it's accessible, it's just a matter of whether or not we want to take it on and whether or not we commit and decide that we're actually going to go for funding. For BiteBow, you know, I struggled with it for a while. I, I thought, you know, do I really need funding to be able to do what it is that I want to do? And for me, part of the main, the main goals of BiteBow is to serve a diverse population. So it's women, it's underrepresented lawyers, it's people that normally don't have access to this type of information. And to be able to do that, it was really important for me to be in control, which means non-dilution, right? And so that's the route that I've decided to take for now. I think that we're growing organically through partnerships and, and other ways. But I think it really is up to the founder about what they really want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you've kind of framed this around mindset because it's something that's accessible to everybody to work on. And it's not like you have to do all this additional education. I mean, what I'm trying to say is the the shift required to wrap your head around and, and actually put yourself out there for funding comes from within, which I think is pretty cool because it puts the control back into your own hands. So, I mean, if that's something, if anyone listening, if that's something they've been thinking about, I mean, there's definitely clear barriers as to why that percentage is so low of funds that get allocated to females. But I do think if you're confident, if you back yourself, you know, that, and that's a road you want to take and, and you feel like it's something you need, we don't need to have this, I need to do it all myself mentality. Like the help is out there, the boost is out there. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, but I mean, I think Generally speaking, that's a pretty high barrier to entry for a lot of people. The second one that I came across that I think we can both definitely relate to is this idea around work-life balance. And for women specifically, it's managing work and family demands. Now, I know you're a mum of four, so I know this is something that's not foreign to you. And the stat I pulled from this was that 50%, sorry, 57% of women feel their careers are negatively impacted by their responsibilities at home, by the virtue of the fact that they do on average 10 times more unpaid work in the home. What's been your experience with managing a household of six, which is no small feat, uh, and running a business and being a lawyer and having a podcast? I mean, it's a lot to have on your plate. What are your tips for kind of juggling the work and family demands? 
It's, you know what, it is a challenge. I'm, I'm not going to lie. And I, I think that anyone that embarks upon this or says, oh, yeah, I can do both. I'm going to be a spectacular mom. I'm going to make bento boxes and we're going to have the best snacks available. And I'm also going to be stellar at a career. You're lying to yourself. Like you're absolutely lying to yourself. It's, it's a balance. It's a balance. You will have days where you are like the best and on top of your game with your company or with your legal practice. And then you'll have days where you're just totally off. You're offline. You're not available. You have to deal with family. You have to deal with yourself. And I think it's okay for women to understand that there's going to be a push and pull to that. You have to be out of balance on certain days in order to be in balance over the long term. Otherwise, mm. it, it won't work. And and for me, you know, we've been blessed because we've lived abroad and in China. Um, you know, one of my my biggest benefits of living there was we had help in the house. We always had an ayi, so ayi means auntie in Chinese. And they, you know, they would cook, they would clean, they would help take care of the kids, they prep the kids for school, they would live in. It was very affordable. And even in Singapore, it's the same thing. And so I'm I'm a Virgo, so I'm very I'm very particular. <laughs> so the fact that I was able to do that and have another woman live in the house, like for me, I'm says a lot. <laughs> it says a lot, right? But I really needed the help. I needed it when the kids were smaller. Um, and now I'm kind of at the stage where I'm like, no, I'd rather have you know that control over my house and you know kind of take a little bit of that work back for myself, and that's okay too. But I think that. As women, you know, particularly as lawyers or as entrepreneurs, we have to be able to accept help. And hey, let's just call it out. The men got to help too, right? I mean, it is not 1950 and you cannot be coming home after working however many hours and then, you know, dude is just sitting there on the sofa and you're cooking dinner for yourself and him and kids. It's just, it's just not practical. So you got to have a good support system and you got to be willing to just let some things slide by the wayside. Um, and yeah. I'm, I'm still learning how to do that, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to share uh, my own thoughts on this idea of balance because I think a lot of, and I mean, I'm the host of the Balance Theory podcast, so this is really like the core, the the nest of, of what I love speaking about. And, and so much of what you just shared really resonates with our own mission. And I would love to offer it for people just think about now, especially if it's, something they're thinking is a hurdle or a challenge for them getting into tech to push their careers, anything like that, whether you've got kids or not, this is applicable to you. And it, and it basically asks you to park the idea of having work-life balance because that formula requires you to kind of have the areas of your life equal. And as you just expressed so beautifully, like life is an ebb and a flow. It's not a straight line. You're not in balance and out of balance. It really is this really delicate dance between crazy moments in your life, more relaxed moments in your life, because if it was neutral all the time, it would be boring and quite uneventful. And so your balance really is that dance between. And for me, the biggest thing and the most important thing that I think resonates with what you were saying is that you're clear on your priorities. So if you know this year you've got huge business goals or if you want to make a huge change in your career, 
you know, that your vocation needs to be a priority. And sometimes that means you need to take a step back from other areas of your life. And as you said, accept help. And that doesn't make you any lesser in those areas. It just means that your priorities are shifted for this season of your life. And I always talk about balance as seasons because it's going to change. And there might be a time where you can pull back on your business. And like you said, take more back from the home. It's all about just working with the flows. And so I think if, if, being weary or being mindful of that balance is something that's a, a challenge or a hurdle for you in your mind and stopping you from doing what you actually want to do. I think you need to reframe what balance means and shift it in a way that's going to be conducive to you actually moving towards your priorities, because I think that's available to everyone. It just, it comes down to what we're speaking about, about funding. It's a mindset shift. So I think um, all in all, these are kind of the main barriers that were coming up in, in terms of the underrepresentation of women in the legal tech space. Do you have any others off the top of your head that you feel uh, our listeners may really be struggling with or confronted by when it comes to entering the legal tech space as lawyers? I mean, I think, well, there's two points. I, I think the first one that you made about priorities, I think that's huge, right? Because as people, as individuals, we all have different priorities. And, um, you know, some people, when they start an entrepreneurial journey, they want to, you know, go for funding and maybe they have a dream of doing an IPO one day and they want to go big and whatever. Some people may just want to do something small and have a lifestyle, like have a certain lifestyle and have it be a certain size. And so I think that's also another thing to take into consideration. Like, not everyone wants to go for funding and even going for funding is not a it's not a necessary requirement to be successful and then success is what you define it as right and so we're all it's it's so there's so many different factors to it um and then i think i'd be remiss if i didn't call out the fact that there still is a lot of gender discrimination in the space right i mean you could have the best the best pitch the best deck the best everything, you know, your numbers look great. You've got, and you go and you have to have like a hundred different calls in order to get some, you know, lopsided deal where you're being heavily diluted. That, that could be a reality for many women in the space. And then maybe they decide, well, that's not for me. So, um, it, it really does depend on the situation. It depends on who you are and, and what you want. And also depends on the circumstances that are around you. But if it's your dream, don't give up on it. Hmm. Yeah, I think this is a really beautiful segue into the next bit that I wanted to speak about. And I'm happy you brought up the fact that, you know, funding doesn't have to be the be all and end all. I mean, there are a lot of people listening that just want to become amazing lawyers in the space. They don't necessarily want to start their own consultancies or businesses. And so that may not necessarily that may not necessarily be a barrier of entry for them. But I think and just speaking from my own experience, one of the barriers is not really knowing how to get a seat at the table, not knowing which table you need to sit at, not knowing what that looks like. So I think like you just said, defining your idea of success and, and really getting clear on what you want to work out is important to work out which table firstly you want to get a seat at, and then you can backtrack and work out, well, how do I actually get a seat at that table? On that note, did you want to share maybe the story of how you and I met um, I think it serves nicely to show maybe how I got my foot into the Web3 space initially because I have to admit, and I don't know if a lot of people listening will have had this same struggle here in Dubai, even though it is considered quite a tech hub, quite forward thinking when it comes to Web3 and crypto, 
when it comes to more traditional roles, so I'm not speaking like developers and really tech-heavy roles, more traditional roles like lawyers, operational roles, they're still being built out because I think with Web3, it's still really like tech-heavy, it's get the tech right, it's innovate, innovate. That kind of secondary layer of how do we make this make sense to everybody else is still pretty early on. And so for me, really finding that information and network of what does being a lawyer even look like in this space was very hard. There were no recruiters that really wanted to, I'm going to quote, get their hands dirty in the space because it was just kind of risky and they didn't really know much about it. So it really came down to me doing my own research. Um, And and I think maybe the story of how you and I met is is a nice segue into this next segment. Yeah. I mean, you, you reached out and you reached out on LinkedIn and, and you were, it, it was so funny. Cause I'm like, I'm like, who's this lady? <laughs> no. And you mentioned that you had, you know, you've, you'd heard the podcast and you heard about me and what I was doing with bite bow. And it just goes to show that if those opportunities don't present themselves, then you go out and you look for them and you make those opportunities. And, you know, we've had conversations about you wanting to get into the web three space and, the boot camp and everything and, and how to structure that. And I think that that just goes to show that if you're open-minded and you're creative and you're entrepreneurial, you can make and create exactly what it is that you want. You can create your own table. And, you know, you and I are at different points in, in our career, but I think it all aligns nicely because for me, I'm sick of the damn table. I'll just tell you right now. Like I've seen the tables, I've sat at the tables, the other people's tables, and I'm like, you know what? That's it. Um, I'm done. You know, dust my hands off. That's it. I'm done. Um, and I and I really feel very strongly that I need to create my own table, and I need to set up ways for other people to create their own table, and um, you know, that's that's part of it. And I think you know the fact that you were able to come to a new country you know, kind of suss it around, look, look around and explore and, and see what's available and then reach out to someone that speaks volumes. Thank you. I appreciate it. And um, I just wanted to say to anybody listening, because doing like networking is not something that I've really done much of before. It's this, you know, fancy corporate term I've heard thrown around, but I've just always been in a job and a team. So I didn't really care much for it, but being here, and not having access to those resources or that information. To me, it's simply just making connections with people who you want to learn from. And and I think if you're coming from that genuine place, it takes away the pressure of, oh, they're not going to want to give me their time or I'm asking for too much because you're just genuinely wanting to understand about the space, about the opportunity. And I always say to people, if that sounds really daunting. Have a think about if if someone was to send you a message and say, hey, I'm really keen to kind of get into the space that you work in and I just want to know a little bit about your role. Would you turn around and be like, oh, you're wasting my time? I would be so honored if somebody turned to me and said, hey, can I, you know, just have five, half an hour of your time just to have a quick chat, get to know you, get to know what you're doing. So I think don't be too shy on that front. A LinkedIn message um, can go a long way as as I've learned. Um, And it really helps you understand and expedite the process of understanding what's going on in the space from the source. But I just wanted to ask you on that note of networking, do you have any tips, things you've done in the past, things that um, you've seen other people do that you can give advice to the listeners to potentially help them start to break entry into the legal tech space to make those connections, to get that info from the source themselves? 
Yes, you've you know what people people joke about LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a great resource. It really is. And I was I was on Twitter the other day and um someone was like blah 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 all the boomers on LinkedIn. I'm like, dude, there's money on LinkedIn. Like you have to reach out to people who have, who actually have books of business or who have business to give you. Like yeah, they may be boomers or they may be whatever. But there's actual business on LinkedIn and there's quality connections that you can make. And believe it or not, my first, I'll say the first really good value client was Wow Pixies. And I reached out to Lily Wu on LinkedIn and I was like, hey, uh, I see you guys, you know, you guys just launched this NFT collection. Do you guys need help? And she was like, oh my gosh, how did you know that we needed help? <laughs> and it's so funny because that was LinkedIn and it was just by me, you know, looking through different profiles, who's in the NFT space. And it was early 2021, um, but it was certainly a way to connect with someone that needed help. And so if you know who it is that you're trying to connect with, let's say that you're looking to work heavily for DAOs. Um, there's a lot of people that have, you know, certain keywords in their LinkedIn profiles. You can search via that. You can find clients that way, or you can find partners that way, you know, partnerships or sponsorships that way. So it's just a matter of kind of being creative and then being strategic. And then you got to be bold. You just got to, you just got to send the message, right? I mean, it, it nothing bad is going to happen to you. The worst thing that will happen is that they will ignore you or they will say, please don't message me ever again. That's it. Yeah. I think you just uh, telepathically took the thought out of my brain because I was just going to say, like, the worst thing that can happen is nothing. Really, you lose nothing from sending a message, but you have everything to gain. Um, and as yeah. I said in our episode last week, it's it's all about the little breadcrumbs. So that person, if they can't help you directly, they might be able to put you in touch with somebody that will. Uh, but I guess for lawyers listening, maybe they've got corporate finance background, banking, media, whatever. They've got other experience as lawyers, but they really want to break into Web3. Now, as we know, the space is so new. It's it's very hard for anyone to call themselves an expert. It's very hard to, well, I don't want to say very hard. It, you can't go to uni and study this stuff. And that's why I guess I'm so grateful I've, I've come across your course, your boot camp that's launching in January, which I'm so excited about because it feels like this tangible way to finally understand something about what's going on in the space. But on the work experience side, um, and I think we briefly spoke about it last week in terms of it's not one of those things where you're going to hire a lawyer with five to 10 plus years experience in Web3. It just, it's not possible because of the way the space has evolved. So what advice would you have to lawyers who are wanting to get that experience and really start to build up their portfolio in that respect? That's a great question. You know, you really have to start somewhere and you have to start small. You know, when I started, you guys are going to laugh at this. I started doing data privacy work, freelancing data privacy work on Upwork at one point. And I noticed the gigs that were coming in, many of them were asking for terms and conditions for NFT collections. And so I was like, oh, terms and conditions, I can do those in my sleep. Sure. You know, I, I can do it. And then by working with those clients, I started to understand their needs. I, I started to understand the trend. Um, what are their concerns? Well, their concerns are, you know, about, well, how long are people going to hold on to NFTs? Um, what are the intellectual property considerations for holders? Do they retain any intellectual property rights? And that was just a commonality. And so you might not start with 
the biggest and best client, but you have to start somewhere. And even if you go to a DAO and you offer up your legal services as pro bono work, that's someplace to start. Or maybe your fee is not as high as you would like it to be, but you have to start somewhere. And by being consistent and by working with clients, maybe you have identified NFTs as the line of work that you'd like to focus in. Maybe you've identified crypto, but by being consistent, you will build up that work experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good starting place to, I mean, obviously for everybody listening, they have an understand, uh, an interest, sorry, in the web three space. So start there and think about, like you said, is it NFTs, is it crypto, is it DAOs, is it um, the more meta metaverse stuff? And then from there you can say, okay, well, what opportunities are available? If you're in a position and can and want to do more freelancing consultancy style work, that's up to you. That's kind of on you to set up. If you'd rather go work for a law firm or work in-house, then do research as to, you know, what projects need in-house lawyers, what law firms specialize in those. And then you can kind of start to get more granular from there. And then, as I said, with what my approach was, I would find people that worked in those places that I started to streamline and start to have conversations because I think it's one thing to be really interested in a space, but then when you understand, okay, well, what's the legal work involved behind the scenes? It's kind of like when you do the theory at uni and then you go in and actually do the experience, you're like, this almost doesn't feel like the same thing. Right. Hey, it's <laughs> it's a bit different. <laughs> yeah. So I think even just setting up a call with a, a lawyer or an, a senior associate in a team of a place that you think you'd like to work and just ask them, like, what's a day like in your work, in your work day? Like, I just want to know. Um, I think that's a good way to get insight and then you can start to become more granular and, and more picky. But I think on the whole, like from a bird's eye view, the Web3 space is so much more collaborative than traditional law just yes. by nature of the shift, I think the push towards community has that, well, I mean, in, in the lawyers I've spoken to anyway, everyone is so giving with their time. Um, and, yeah, I think I think you'd be very surprised if you just start putting feelers out, start having those conversations, how generous people are. And it's a, it's a growing network. And, and the more people we have, the more eyeballs, the more brains we have in here, the better for the space. So Absolutely. collaboration over competition every day. Absolutely. And women, women lawyers, particularly in the space, are very collaborative, I found. And, you know, no shade to the men. I know we have some men listeners, no shade. But I do find that women lawyers are very collaborative, very open. Um, even in the, in the community that we have at Bite Bow, you know, we're a new community and we're growing. People are, you know, willing to, willing to respond and comment to events and kind of give their take on things. And, and that will just continue on. And so it's all about how you set the tone. Um, and, mm. you know, there are plenty of communities to join. Of course, I'm going to give the plug for Bow community to join that because, of, of course, you're in there, Erica, and I'm in there. Um, but, you know, we, we just need to share information. And whether you are looking to start out and build and, and grow your client base or you're looking to understand best practices, you've got to speak to people. I mean, that's the only way you're going to learn. 100%. 100%. So yeah, I, I will definitely second that. There's a lot of resources and information in the ByteBow community. There's more and more people joining every day. So if you have any burning questions, you want to be pointed in the right direction. I mean, Jamilia has so much experience and I always love a chat. So pop in and, and introduce yourself and don't be shy. Um, one last question that's coming to mind that I'm just thinking will be very useful for people to understand. As someone who runs their own 
law firm, consultancy. What is it that you look for in potential lawyers that you want to hire in terms of skills? And they can be either professional, like expertise related or even personal. What are the like top skills that you look for that you think people should really brush up on to be successful in this space? Uh, I think it's a great question. I think firstly, you've got to be passionate about why you're doing what you're doing. Otherwise you will burn out. I mean, you will burn out fast. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the the work is fast paced. There's a lot of emergencies, um, clients that are new that are coming into the space. Um, They need a lot of hand holding. So you have to be clear on why you're doing this and what it is that motivates you every day to do it. Um, Otherwise it, it can get to be it can get get to be overwhelming. So I think that's first. It's like passion and and sort of a mission, right? Like, what's your purpose? Like, why are you doing this? And then secondly, it's this idea of entrepreneurship and being business savvy. So um, sometimes we get spoiled as lawyers, particularly when you work in a firm and you're able to just kind of write a memo and then email it off to the client and be like, oh, we did this research and we found this and boom, there it is. And then leave it to them to think about how to implement, how to execute. What does it actually mean? I mean, maybe you set up a call and walk them through it. But in Web3, it's much more hands-on. Like you really need to be able to explain what the law means and then go the next step and say, this is what you should do and this is how you should do it. And oh, by the way, here are some tools that we know actually work. And it's, it's really very different than the practice of law, I'd say 15 or 20 years ago when everything was just very cut and dry and, you know, you do the research, you give the guidance and that's it. You have to be hands on. And, and that is not easy. I think for many lawyers, I think for many lawyers, it's more comfortable to say, um, I'm not allowed to recommend X, Y, and Z, or I can't tell you how to X, Y, Z but here's what the law says. It's very easy to do that. It's much more risky and it's much more, um, I'd say, putting yourself out there to take the next step and to actually talk about execution and operations. Mm, yeah. And I, I definitely can see the intersection of entrepreneurship in and, and law in the Web3 space. I think any lawyer moving in um, is kind of going to have to have that side of them that ambitious side, that open-minded side, almost like you're wearing an operational hat because I think it's just a byproduct of the, 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 the age of the space being so young and being so dynamic. I think you have to be at that pace to, to move with it. So I think that's all very, very useful. Yeah. Are you happy and, to – sorry, I was I'm, just going to ask you a question. Sure. I was just going to say, I was going to add on to that and, and say that clients will complain. Like I've heard clients say, um, you know, they've worked with particular lawyers and they felt as though the interaction was very cold. It was, it was very transactional. Um, all they received was, was X, you know, clients, I think Web3 business clients in the space are actually looking for more. And to that mm. point, I think a lot of the old school um, billing fees and, and, you know, structuring rather in terms of like hourly rates, I think that's going away too. I think Web3 is, is forcing lawyers to kind of innovate and think about, well, how will we structure this? How will we charge clients? Yeah, I think it's good and about time, to be honest, that the space had a bit of a shakeup. Um, and I, I also think a big reason for that is because so many of the 
developers and the minds behind all these Web3 projects and protocols are young people. They're very young. They're not used to the cut and dry ways that have been happening for 50, 60 plus years. And they just want people that are at their speed, that speak their language. They're not interested in, you know, overt professionalism, so to speak. I mean, you have to have some level of professionalism, but they just want to relate to people and have people that want to collaborate with them in the project. And I think if you remember that that's a space you're moving into, it really does impact and help you untrain a lot of the uh, potential, you know, constructions we've put up to fit into the corporate world as we know it from a Web2 point of view. Absolutely. Onward and upward. Get rid of all those old <laughs> those old ways. We don't want them anymore. <laughs> I feel like it's almost uh, a blessing in disguise for me because everything I uh, disliked or felt very disconnected from in traditional corporate has kind of been given the flick with uh, Web3 and all that's left is actually like the work and and the interaction with people and, and you know, the suits and the strict nine to five and the other really, really heavy corporate elements of it are kind of being done away. So for me, I feel like it's just the perfect place for someone like with my personality and my drive and my passion. So for anyone listening who feels any similar kind of disconnect, it's been a real amazing opportunity for me to re-spark that love for law. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful to be here and in the space. So if you're thinking and you're listening about Sorry, if you're listening and thinking about getting into the space, I wouldn't hold back for a moment. Like now such a such an incredible point in time. We're so early in the space. To get in now is a gift. So don't hold back. Just do it. You've got nothing to lose. If all you do is sign up for the boot camp, learn a little bit and make some connections with, with our group, with us in the space, that's a great first step. And then you can kind of watch your next moves from there. But just do it is what I would say. That's right. We're doing it. We're, we're moving forward in 2023. I would say 2023 is going to be a win. I mean, you, you guys see the work that's being created. I mean, we talked about um, SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX and all of that. Now's the time to get into the space, get your experience, get your tools and your skills under your belt and go out there and build that business that you've always wanted or go out there and get that role that you've always wanted because the work is there. It's just waiting for you. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Erica, it's been a pleasure. I mean, I love our chats. I love talking about this stuff. I love, you know, I mean, I think the fact that, you know, you're moving into this space is really valuable for listeners to hear. So I appreciate you and, and thank you for joining us again. No, my absolute pleasure. And I think it's been nice kind of you sitting in the guest seat almost so the listeners can really start to hear a bit more about your story. I know you give so much information and love on your episodes, so it's nice to hear a little bit more about you from a personal point of view. And um, I'm looking forward to the next one. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being on. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe out there in those crypto streets. Take care. <laughs>